Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by ThatLeisureShop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome back to the Motorhome Matt podcast where we give you the inside on everything to do with motorhoming and caravanning, whether you're thinking of hiring or buying. Hundreds of thousands of listeners, people hanging on his every word. The man, the expert, motorhome Matt Sims. Here I am, hanging on my every word. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Keith Gooden, by the way, and what I do is I ask the stupid questions. And uh, the first stupid question I suppose I'm going to ask you is, it's been a tough time for all businesses with the cost of living crisis, a war in Ukraine, the pandemic. The last few years has been a roller coaster. So yeah. what is the latest in the motorhoming and caravanning industry? The business secrets. Mm. It's certainly been a challenging summer. Uh, one of the big things that's happened within the shop, at that leisure shop, which is our shop, is the delivery of products. We've waited some products we ordered in October last year, and they arrived in July, August. So you ordered them last October, and because of supply issues due to all those things that I've listed, they're finally t- turning up on your doorstep. And then I suppose they send the invoice and say, hey, hey, you've got to pay for this now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's what follows the delivery. And and that's why we're seeing loads of sales at the moment. You know, you're, No doubt if you're listening to this, your inbox has filled up with you know, some great offers from that leisure shop. Hopefully you're subscribing to us. If not, why not? And we do have some fantastic offers on. Big household names like Go Outdoors, Mountain Warehouse. Uh, I was in a mountain warehouse, which is obviously more about clothing, um, and I bought an outdoor waterproof coat, 25 quid, reduced from £130. A fleece, £8, reduced from 50 And you think, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, the question is, how are you doing it? Because isn't it better to leave it on the, the shelf and, and sell it next year? Well, you'd think, wouldn't you? And, and I said to the guy in the shop, it's supposed to be on holiday in Pembrokeshire, I said, a mountain warehouse closing down? He said, no. He said, but this is earlier than normal to have a sale like this. And this was, this was mid, you know, early, early August. This was. It was interesting to, to chat to him. In fact, we, the other week we were at the Bristol Balloon Fiesta, which is a huge outdoor event, beautiful weather, really hot. And we took the shop along and we decided, right, let's liquidate some of the stock and do some fantastic offers. And we were discounting heavily for that weekend. You know, it kind of made me shiver, really. You know, we thought, well, we bought this for 50 and we're selling it for 50. What's going on there? How does that work? And on the next stand, our neighbour was this lovely guy, Alan, who had had a whole work-life history, which he was sharing with me. And he'd sold his business, but he actually bought Foster's menswear. Do you remember then? I do. <laughs> I used to buy my school clothes at Foster's menswear. But they were a business. They went. I think they went bust. Anyway, Alan bought it and launched a whole retail chain of, of clothing shops. And he said, Matt, what you're doing is retail. That's how it works. You know, and I'm no expert in this. We're learning as a, a retail team. Our whole shop team are new to it. And we bring, I think, a breath of fresh air to it. All of us are trying to get our head around how do we fund this sudden backlog that's arrived and the invoices that need paying. And the fact that we've got, you know, we've bought 10 and there are two or three left. Do we want to keep them for next year, as you say? Or do we want to sell out of them and go again? And and this guy, Alan, it was like with a business coach for the weekend. It was brilliant. Uh, and he was selling cold drinks, bottled water, <laughs> cold pop. We just kept topping us up. It was lovely. But he was saying that that's retail, Matt, that you're doing the right thing. You need as a business. Think of it as fresh cash back into the business and go again next year. So you are going to see and you we are seeing huge sales, you know, some ridiculous huge discounts off 
the retail price as businesses particularly the bigger ones you know they must be facing big mountains of, of invoices to pay just circumstantial and unique again as we've said before it's a new pattern for this year um, so there are lots of great offers and sales out there interestingly though whilst there is an overstocking bit where we're you know while warehouse is brimming with stock there are lots of items going out of stock and we can't get any more so if there's something you want my advice is buy it now yeah, and that's an advantage as well to the consumer, isn't it? Because you've had this situation where you put the order in, as you say, it could be last October. You're finally getting the order coming through because of delays uh, due to war or pandemic uh, or just general downturn due to the cost of living crisis. But suddenly the consumer is the boss. And if you've got somebody who has got a motorhome or a caravan, you might be married to them. They might be a member of your family. Now's the time to buy those Christmas presents while this, while this uh, summer stock is being sold off. Yeah, 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 that's right. And the, and the sales, you know, there's normally a huge end-of-season sale, isn't there? And you'll see sales everywhere at the moment. And, and I think that's why, is there's this huge backlog delivery as businesses try and cash flow their way through that. So, yeah, buy now, ready for Christmas. If you don't want it now, then, you know, think early for Christmas. Thatlivyourshop.com. Indeed, go there. It's amazing. Honestly, it's a fantastic shop. It's a superb website. We're a small family team uh, and the guys have worked so hard building it. We have some fantastic reviews. Don't take my word for it. Go and read the reviews. And the range of products is superb and it's growing all the time. Um, and big plans for next year. So, yeah, watch this space. And get buying as well. Get buying, yeah. Another reason to buy is because prices are on the rise. Aren't they, they are, yeah. We've been told that you know, we're under pressure to order now for next year. And there are some deals available to us if we order now for you know, delivery in March, April. But prices, if we order in 2023, which right now, of course, is next year, we're going to see 10 to 20 percent price increases, we're told, if not more. So another reason to buy now, you know, beat that price rise. New product coming through is going to be more expensive. Existing product that is coming through is going to be more expensive. Just down to shipping costs, production costs, a whole host of reasons. But yeah, it's it's inflation is definitely here. Right. Inflation is here to stay. Some people say it could be as high as 22% in the UK. It is being driven by energy prices. It doesn't relate to everything. But another reason to uh, open your wallet uh, and get buying while you've got the chance. Don't wait until next year. You've been talking to another friend of yours in the industry. Well, I was intrigued as to what's going on as well with the supply of motorhomes particularly motomes and caravans, but motomes especially. And so I caught up with a dear friend of mine, Paul Chance. Paul owns TMD in Redditch, Birmingham area. And, and I asked him, you know, Paul, what's the future looking like for next year? I was at Adria a month or so ago. That shut the line down because windows for their van conversion hadn't arrived. But the core problem at the moment is chassis supply being the biggest supplier of chassis and supplies being interrupted continually. Fiat factory has shut down numerous times. Semiconductors are one of the biggest problems. Some more semiconductors that go into an electric vehicle than go into a normal combustion engine motorhome. But there would appear to be a focus towards building electric vehicles. They're rising in popularity. Um, but I don't think at the moment they fit what we need for motorhomes. I think there could be you know further developments down the line which would be better um, suited to um, to motorhomes. Frustration is as much with the with, with the motorhome manufacturers as it is with us. You know they've got the capacity, they just can't get the supply of chassis. The chassis uh, their parts. Now you mentioned Adria. Now, of course, they build on chassis other than Fiat. They build on Citroen, 
uh, and recently relaunched a Mercedes product, the Supersonic, which looks amazing. I'm seeing this is a trend where more manufacturers are launching. Uh, I saw that Swift have launched a product on a Transit. Um, is this a trend you think we're going to keep seeing? I, I think they would, that the manufacturers would, would be foolish to keep all their eggs in one basket as they have done you know would be foolhardy they need to look at other manufacturers and the talk is that they're all looking at you know how they can perhaps spread the, the load across different manufacturers citroen are being spoken about mercedes man these are all in the mix in the future i think that's got to be the way that they will go we can't have the situation we've got now and um, we are probably between 50 and 65 percent down on what we would normally order purely through the fact that, the, that the, the manufacturers can't supply us with the vehicles for next year. It wasn't a whole lot better this year. And the delays, uh, you know, are just, just compounding the problem. Um, so I definitely think that they're going to have to look at solutions going, going forward. N none of us can, you know, sustain business with this kind of supply. We were talking previously, weren't we, about electric motorhomes. And we're, it feels to me we're still a long way from that in mass market. You mentioned that there's more attention being paid to electric by manufacturers. Can you tell me a bit more about your view on that? The, the popularity of electric vehicles are encouraging people like Fiat to build more electric vehicles, more components go into those, and it's getting, it's getting taken away from combustion engines, as I previously said. I don't think the um, battery solution is at the moment a good solution for motorhomes. They're heavy, they take up space. The distance that you can travel is very, very limited. The infrastructure um, isn't there. However, I think other things that could come through in the, in the future, such as hydrogen, they offer a lot of benefits. The, the, the need not to use um, gas on the vehicle anymore. You can you know, use an inductive hob, stuff like that, what that could give you. So I think that um, motorhome manufacturers won't rush into electric. That, you know, they've, they've got to wait and see what um, you know, what comes along and, and what what's happening with technology. There's definitely in their thoughts, you know, when we've spoken to them, you know, it's, it, you know, electric vehicles is in their, it, you know, is in their minds, but it's, it's a little way, it, you know, it's, in fact, it's, it's quite a long way off, um, I would say. There are lots and lots of different options that could be available, which probably aren't quite, quite there yet. And, and they would work better for motorhomes. But as I say, I think at the moment, the current um, battery solution that we've got, you know, charging batteries, be an issue with payload, an issue with, with distance, and um, an issue with infrastructure. So I just don't think that works for motorhomes at the moment. Um, no. know, I think it's a bit of a little bit of a, a non-starter. We've, we've got problems in this country with, with licenses and payload anyway, so, um, you know, it'd make it even worse. Yeah, which government are hopefully going to review. It's being spoken about, at least. Mm. So what's your advice to people going to the show? The NEC show's coming up in October, only a few weeks away as we have this chat. What's your advice to people looking at a new motorhome or even possibly considering used? You sell both. What's your yeah. advice to them? I mean, the used market is going to be key for dealers going forward because we, we, we're going to, you know, we're not going to have the supply of new. But there are new vehicles going to be available. What I would say is the dealer cannot, they cannot hand on heart guarantee you when those vehicles will arrive at the moment. They can give you an indication of when they're going to arrive. We can only give you the best information we've got at that time. And that is the best information that the manufacturers have got at that time. If something happens and fear change those dates, then it just gets passed down the line. So it is, it is going to be a, a little bit difficult. And of course, like everything, prices are going up, you know, in terms of new vehicle. What's happened in the past has been price guarantees when things have been ordered. I don't think manufacturers can afford to keep that going forward. So I doubt there'll, there'll, there'll be a lot of manufacturers giving price guarantees. 
No, it'll be interesting to see what the show offer is and takes me back to February 2020 yeah, and October 2019 pre-Brexit. The risk of huge you know, tariffs on the motorhome screen price and you know, being that being passed to the consumer. So lots more uncertainty ahead then. There will be vehicles available. You know, there will be a, a lot less um, available. So if the customer really, really wants one, go to the NEC show, have a look around, order one. But as I say, there will be uncertainty of delivery time and possibly uncertainty on a final fixed price. So that was Paul from TMD with some of his views about what next year uh, might hold. What's your view on that then, Matt? What do you think? I think it's really interesting. I think it's exciting. I think it's a little bit scary. And part of the problem is that nobody can actually predict what is going to happen. You know, manufacturers, retailers, we're all waiting to see how this unfolds. This evolving, if you like, from diesel-powered motorhomes into electrified motorhomes is you know, nobody's got the answer. You know, nobody really knows what it's going to look like and when it's going to happen. Yeah, it's an intriguing time and definitely an exciting time to be part of this industry, I think. So what if I want to sell my motorhome? That's the main subject of today's podcast, uh, selling my motorhome. But why would I want to sell my motorhome? Because <laughs> as we've talked about it in the past, in some cases, in a lot of cases, dare I say in most cases, it's an appreciating asset, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, there's lots of motivations why people want to sell them. Maybe they've done it, more than ever have done it, you know, bought one and had a go. Uh, but they can now go back on those traditional holidays that they used to do. Uh, and perhaps they've just, you know, fallen out of love with it or just said, well, that's it. We've done that for a season. Now we're going to sell it. Or you want to upgrade it. Maybe you bought the wrong layout. You want a bigger or smaller motorhome, a different style. So there's lots of reasons as to why people would sell them. And of course, there are lots of ways in which you can sell one. And that's what we wanted to unpack and talk about today. So how do we go about it? Well, I guess it's obviously you can sell it privately. You write your own advert, take your own pictures, get your own description. You suffer all the costs uh, and all the hassle. Or you could trade in if you're going to buy a new one, whether it's a new to you, so secondhand or brand new, you could trade it in. Or you could go and give it to a dealer and they buy it from you and give you the cash. Or they broker it where they will take it on and display it. They take off from you all of the hassle so all the costs of advertising it and they agree with you a return uh, based on a sale price that they will sell it for and the difference there is you don't get the money until they've sold it so what's the best deal for me if i'm selling my motorhome then? It, what's the best way at the moment well it depends what your motivation is for selling it really i mean it you know, it's interesting because private prices are often pretty similar to dealer prices because the demand is there. And if your motorhome is sought after or hard to get, you know, then it's going to have you know a strong value. Um, selling privately, you you can't offer a warranty unless it's covered by the manufacturer warranty because it's still you know new enough to have one. Um, that would be transferable. Usually, that's the case. And if for the buyer, they may want the, the support after the sale uh, from a dealer. So if something goes wrong, they can take it back. You know, worst case scenario, they can just block the gate and put up a sign. I've seen that happen many times and, and, you know, and get some support afterwards. Um, so in terms of the best deal, that's going to be a very subjective answer. That could be you selling it. You have all the hassle then. But you could get probably just as good a deal if you were to broker it through a dealer. Generally, when you give it to a dealer to sell, brokering gives you more of a return than if they're going to buy it outright from you. Dealers are going to want to make anywhere between 10 to 25% across the vehicle. That's a typical 
dealer margin and 10% is when it's on brokerage and that higher percentage you know people think gosh that's a lot of money well you know that dealer's got the overhead of a showroom the the yard with the rates the rent the staff um, all the advertising costs they're in business they're not a charity and they pay VAT remember on the margin as well so that's a cost whether they're brokering it or buying it off you so generally you get a better deal if you broker it and you might get a very good deal if you part exchange it the risk if part exchanging it if you're buying a new one is you could give them the motor home and then wait a year for your new one to arrive. And mm. and you could end up with no motor home. And there, I know lots of people in that situation at the moment, which is really, really unfortunate because that wasn't their plan. Um, a dealer might do a deal with you and say, well, I'll give you this much for it when the new one arrives. And then you've got your old motor home until that new one arrives. So you know, what's the best deal? It's going to depend and you're going to need to explore each of those. Selling privately is probably the most complicated my brother-in-law, he might listen to this, so I'll be careful what I say, and he won't mind me saying this. He's selling his. He rang and said, you know, I've not sold it. What can you do to help? I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll sell it for you. You know, mate's rates, well, sort of mate's rates. You yeah, told looked- him it was mate's rates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I looked at his advert, and, and frankly, and Mike won't mind me saying this, it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> the photos were awful. It had the wrong description. I mean, the wrong title, the description was really poor. I said, I'm not surprised you haven't sold it. It's also, you know, so many thousand, but three or four grand too much for a private sale, I felt. And anyway, so he said, well, I've had to think about it, Matt, and we're going to carry on. I've I've made some changes. I said, oh, great, what have you done? I've knocked 500 quid off it. <laughs> same photos, same description. And guess what? I saw him at the weekend at a family wedding. About three weeks later, still hasn't sold it. <laughs> In fact, now he's going to keep it, apparently. So so what's the reason he hasn't sold it? Why is that, was that a bad idea? Well, I think when we're selling a vehicle, we make a big effort with the photos. So we prep the vehicle really nicely. We photograph it with a lovely backdrop, which is actually our front garden. And we have a fantastic view. If you've ever seen some of the stuff I, I do on Instagram, you'll see it. And it is phenomenal. And it puts the motorhome in a great light. And we're kind of trying to feed people's imagination and have them imagine that they're in it. Um, and we, f- we take, go to great lengths photographing the detail so the questions that people have are answered through a photo. Your photo speaks a thousand words, isn't it, as they say. So, yeah, we, we often will put 50 photos up. Uh, and then the description, trying to cover off you know, all of the specification, how you use it, and some of the history of the vehicle. If we know the owner, we've got one for sale, and the uh, previous owner sadly passed away. That's why it's for sale. That kind of history is really useful for someone looking to buy one. You know, so, well, if it's so good, why is it for sale? Well, you know, the owner's not here to use it anymore, and they loved it. Uh, and so that kind of backstory, I think, is really important. It's a great sales technique, but actually what you're doing is presenting something that's very genuine uh, and giving the, the buyer all of the information so they haven't got to ring you and ask all the questions. You, know, you, can, you kind of want them to ring and have a conversation, but you, know, you can answer the obvious questions at the get-go, which is really important. It's like when you're buying a car, isn't it? That your car is never as clean or as shiny as the day you buy it from the dealer. <laughs> it's uh, true. And, and, and that goes a long way. You know, oh, that looks so, lovely. Isn't that nice? It's oh, all clean. You know. It's also never as clean or as shiny as the day you sell it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen your car. Yours definitely is not for sale. If something as basic as that, you know, a dealer will sort that out for you. They'll they'll make sure it's nice and clean and uh, and, and shiny and, and all the rest. And like you said, it's, it's the information, isn't it? Uh, that the buyer 
uh, once, uh, yeah. instead of just a boring list, is the information presented in in the proper way. So I'm I'm selling my motorhome. I've decided, for instance, to go with a dealership because you know yeah. I think dealers are having a hard time at the moment. I'm not doing it for charity because I'm in business too. I want to get the best price for my motorhome, but he hasn't got a lot of stock. He or she hasn't got a lot of stock. So we're going to broker it. Uh, what should I expect? What should I uh, ask for you know, on that brokerage deal? How much of that money am I going to keep? Yeah, as I say, you're, they're probably going to want around 8 10% across the top of it. Um, they might have a fixed fee basis, which would be typically three to £5,000. It really is going to vary. It's going to depend on the motor you're selling, uh, and it's going to depend on the dealer as well and their model. But typically, they're going to want you know a lump out of it that's going to mean it's worth their while brokering it. Remember, they will be able to give a warranty on it. They'll be able to offer finance on it to a future future buyer um, and there's that support as well after the sale so there's that sense of security for a buyer and so potentially there's a higher chance of it selling more quickly at a dealer many of them are open seven days a week although I've heard stories of some deciding to shut and be only open five or six days a week because of energy costs different story uh, but they're, you know, they're there to serve the customer all day every day they're not waiting in like you would if you're selling it privately for a tire kicker to turn up you know and spend two hours looking around it asking questions only to say oh we're going to go home and think about it that happens all the time when people are looking at motorhomes and rightly so yeah Uh, but also you're buying uh, the contacts and the skills of the dealer aren't you Uh, because there's no point you coming home and saying well he only made two phone calls and took 25 percent off me the fact of the matter is the dealer has got the contacts and you haven't and they might have spent 20 years building up those two contacts you know it's it's that's what you're paying for is that expertise yes they might sell it really quickly and yeah you might feel a little bit aggrieved that they well they didn't work very hard for that so well no but that's why that's this is what they do but it's skills and knowledge you're buying isn't it it is yeah, yeah. And, and insight as well and understanding what it's worth. So you're going to go and do your research before you sell it and you're going to go on e- e- eBay or Auto Trader and go and look at what it's worth. You, <clears throat> what they're advertised for is not necessarily, of course, what they're selling for. Really important to remember that. So you're going to get a kind of flavour of the market mm-hmm. um, and a dealer's going to give you their take on that as well. Uh, and they'll say, well, yeah, we can. You, know, you can always drop the price, can't you? Hard to put it up. So they're going to agree... A return for you based on a, a figure they're going to sell for. I would always ask the dealer, what is your intention in terms of the retail price? So when you see the advert, you don't get a shock. Uh, and that's your point to negotiate as well. Because if they start putting, you know, £50,000 on it <laughs> and they're offering you ten, <laughs> that's not a great deal, is it? So ask the question, you know, what do you anticipate selling it for? And obviously what they sell it for is totally their business. They might take a car, a caravan, a boat, a jet ski. We took a jet ski in once. You know, they might take a tandem bike, penny farthing in part exchange. That's for them to deal with. And once that's done, you're going to get your return. So all of that hassle is, is dealt with by them. And of course, selling through a dealer means you open up the opportunity to sell to all those people that have a part exchange, which as a private seller, you know, you might not be interested in taking in their, you know, 30 year old rotten box. Yeah, but the point is, Matt, you've been telling me for the last year that uh, motorhomes are a great investment and they're selling for more than you paid for them. Are people being unreasonable in their expectations if they've got that rotten box, taking it along and getting a good price for it? Well, you sent me one the other day, didn't you? I said, did you I did. buy this? I, I saw it. I saw it. I thought, I've got to send this one to Matt. It was like 1978 or something like that. It was a boat. 
It was a goldfish ball on wheels. <laughs> it was rotten. They only wanted three and a half thousand. <laughs> three and a half grand. I mean, you know, that would have been worth nothing three years ago, and suddenly it has a value. So, yeah, I mean, they, they are. It's not always the case that they're going to be worth more than you paid for it. Not at all. But motorhomes definitely have gone up in price. And we were talking about selling a motorhome. When's a good time to sell one? When's a good time to buy one? I'd say the answer is now. You know, there's never there's never really a bad time. People say, well, I'll wait till the end of the season. You could wait till the end of the season. You're going to have a summer's mileage on it. So you've had another season's use out of it. The peak times for motorhome sales, interestingly, are not July and August. They're March and October, typically. And the reason for that is the new registrations come out in March and the October show season. So the big show at the NEC in Birmingham. And the smart cookies that know how this industry works order their motorhomes then to normally get delivery of them in the spring following year. So the great time to be selling is around there when people are looking to buy. Um, It does mean there's always a bit of a flood of stock coming onto the market, but that's okay. You know, yours just has to be the best out there and the most desirable. Another factor as well that people get wrong, they're all the extras that they paid a fortune to have fitted. They don't always have a massive impact on the resale value. And yes, they might have cost you £10,000, but they're not going to carry that value forward. So just bear that in mind when you're buying one and equipping one. And when you come to sell it, all those extras really do is make it more desirable than the next one on the list. Yeah, you're not necessarily going to get all the money that you lashed no. out for it. So so basically, you can sell it yourself and all the hassle that that involves. As you said, the tyre kickers coming round and even perhaps <laughs> even some dealers coming round and offering you silly prices. They will. They'll uh, be on the phone. Yeah, you, you can sell it to, to dealers who will buy it from you or in, take it in part exchange for a new motorhome. Yep. Uh, or you can ask them to sell it for you and, and uh, they will take... Uh, a percentage from you. It's up to you what deal you do. Yes, motorhomes, as you've explained before, are holding their value. But if you've got that old rust bucket, uh, you're not going to be sitting on on a fortune. So what's the final thing that people need to know about if they're selling their motorhome? Finance. So what if you bought it with finance because it was a stretch to buy or whatever reason you put finance on, you just decided it was commercially a good idea. When you come to sell it, you don't actually own it. That finance company owns it. So how do you get out of that if you're going to sell it privately or to a dealer? Well, a dealer will do an HPI check and they'll see that it's got a finance imprint on the vehicle. They will pay the finance company uh, and then they'll pay you any difference. If you're selling it privately, you are going to have to present to a prospective buyer the fact that it's got finance on it. Hopefully, they'll do an HPI check. Uh, they, They cost six, seven pounds. Yeah, they're not expensive. And they will not only tell you if it's got finance, it will tell you if it's been written off. It will tell you history of number plate changes. It will tell you how many owners it's had, um, which can verify the V5 registration document. So it gives you a whole load of history on the vehicle. But you would, I would suggest if you've got finance on a vehicle that you're selling privately, you contact the finance company and get a settlement figure and get that letter and show the buyer. And they are going to have to pay the finance company direct. Uh, that would be fair. I think it would be mad of a buyer to give the seller the money and then trust that they're going to clear the finance off. You know, they could run off into the sunlight. But if you're the seller, I would be prepared to say to a prospective buyer, yes, there is finance on it, and here is the settlement figure from the finance company. If you pay it off, it will take a couple of days for that HPI footprint to disappear 
from the vehicle, but they will confirm that it's been cleared off and then any difference you would pay um, to the seller, the buyer would pay to you, the seller. So that's a consideration. It complicates the sale a little bit. I mean, if you can clear the finance down before you sell it, even better. You know, if there's any, you know, if there's an affordable amount of money left to pay and you can, then get rid of it. It's a much cleaner transaction. So trust doesn't really have a bearing on it at all. It's a business arrangement. As Matt says, you wouldn't hand over money and trust somebody else uh, to pay the finance company. Get all all, uh, your documents straight. Make sure the motorhome is presented in the best possible way. A dealer, of course, will do all the HPI stuff for you, won't they? They will. They will. And they'll also want to service it as well. They want to to check it all over. So, you know, the service history is really important. Make sure you've got all the documentation up together together. Yeah, I love it when I flick through like a ring binder in those poly pocket things, you know, and there's every service and every manual. It's just great. It gives me the impression that this person has taken care of the service history. They've therefore taken care of the vehicle. It's a really, really good thing to do. So be organised. Make sure you've had it serviced. That's going to make it much easier to sell and, and make sure that all the history is there for the buyer to see as well. Fantastic. It's the Motorhome Map podcast. We've been talking about selling your motorhome. Uh, we've got a couple of other things uh, to get through here, Matt, in today's uh, podcast. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the big show in October uh, <laughs> at the NEC. You're going to be there. The podcast is going to be there. Woo-hoo. But we've also got some tickets to give away, haven't we? We have. Yeah, we've got six pairs of tickets to give away. Thank you to the organisers for letting us have these. We're very honoured. Uh, and we are going to be at the show with a stand. We're going to be recording live content from the show, interviewing lots of people, recording on the stand. We hope to have a chat with you, our listeners. Come and say hi. We're in the entrance to Hall 9. That's where we're going to be. Keith's going to be there as well in a brand new shirt. (laughs) Yes, and a hat. He's going to give his dad his shirt back (laughs) and get one of his own. And by the way, you'll know what Matt looks like because he's got his uh, crazy fizzog on posters all around. (laughs) Not one of me, incidentally. Just Matt, uh, all around the show area. You won't miss it. He's paid a fortune for it. And uh, (laughs) by golly gumdrops, you're going to know exactly what that man looks like by the end of the show. Uh, You've also got a, a great deal, haven't you? We're going to talk about how you can win the ticket. But you've got a great deal for people who want to buy some tickets, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, so if you want to buy them, then they're still for sale. Uh, the show's yet to sell out. The February one did sell out, of course. This one is likely to. But yeah, if you want to get a discount, we have a code. Got your pen? It's EX1. So when you go to the Motorhome Caravan Show website to buy a ticket, enter the code EX1 and it'll save you a few pounds. Yep, so you buy the tickets directly from the NEC show. Uh, when it asks you for a discount code... EX1, and that will give you your discount courtesy of the Motorhome Matt podcast. We'll mention it again at the end, but this is how you win some tickets. Yeah, so we've got six pairs to give away. We want to hear your stories. So we want to hear your funny stories about motorhoming, caravanning, your disastrous stories, and any story that's memorable. For whatever reason, it might be memorable to you. And we want to try and include them in the podcast if they're not too offensive or too rude. It could be it could be something to do with the kids. It could be something to do with the way you parked the vehicle. Uh, maybe something you didn't know and you made a big mistake. Uh, you know, heartwarming stories. We always love a heartwarming love story. And yeah. especially about your family or whatever. Any story that you think might tickle us here at the uh, podcast, then uh, you make sure you send to us. Now, how do people do that? Matt? Very easily. So we're going to ask you to record them, ideally. You go to motohomemat.co.uk forward slash askmat. So head to our website, hit the orange button, record your story and press submit. Dead easy. In fact, so easy, a child can do it. Or even me. 
Or, you know, even you, yeah. I could do it, you could do it. But uh, if, you're too, if you're worried about recording your voice, you don't like the sound of your own voice, unlike Keith, then you can enter your story on the form. Just type it in and press submit, and then we'll read it out on the podcast for you. OK, we've got some of the uh, people uh, who have been in touch with us, listeners. Thanks very much uh, for listening. Uh, let's have a listen and some of the questions they've been asking you, Matt. Hi, Matt. It's Colin from Bristol. I have a question about heating an RV. We're looking to do year-round camping, motorhoming, so obviously want heated RV. I've noticed that some are dual fuel with diesel, others are dual fuel with gas. Is there any advantage to either option or disadvantage? And what are the relative costs? Thanks very much. See you at Birmingham. He's going to be there. Okay, then, Matt, what's the answer to that one? Wow, great question. Thanks, Colin. So, yeah, heating your motorhome, RV, recreational vehicle, that's an Americanism, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, is, is obviously really important if you're going to use it all year round. There's three types of motorhome heating system. So Colin alludes to the diesel systems, which are often makes like Webasto or Eberschbacher. Uh, and they hail from kind of heating trucks and heating boats. And they've become increasingly popular in motorhomes and camper vans. They're low cost to install, uh, low cost to run. And the great thing about a diesel heater is you can get diesel everywhere. There's no issue of supply for your diesel heater. Often they'll stop working when the fuel gauge gets to below a quarter because these heaters run from the main fuel tank. So if you get to a quarter of a tank, they'll often stop working. And that's to allow you to still start the engine and go and travel and fill up again with diesel. Um, They can be quite noisy. They generate, obviously, smoke, a little bit of smoke because they're diesel. In my experience, they're, they're very effective, but they're not as good in my experience of the motems I've been in, as a gas-powered heating system. And they're often made by brands like Truma or Alda. Truma is a blown-air system that uses gas and or electric, so when you hook up on the campsite, you can run on the electricity. And that heats a boiler of hot water and blows through a heater element and blows warm air around the motome. The diesel heater will also be blowing the air around the motome. I have found the Truma systems, they're a lot more expensive, double the price. I would say, you know, you're looking at kind of two and a half thousand pounds for, for a Truma system and possibly half that for a diesel system. And there's so many variables in that, you know, there's, you know take that with a pinch of salt. But typically there's a guide. Uh, the gas systems mean that you can run off grid. They're very effective, but you've got to have gas. So then you come to this whole debate about gas and gas bottles. And if you're using Cala gas, they are very currently very hard to find. And so people are converting their motorhomes to refillable gas systems. And the refillable points are also becoming increasingly hard to find. In fact, some dealers have resorted to installing their own. And that's simply because people aren't running their cars on gas like they used to. The other option is the Alder system, which I mentioned, and they run a fluid filled system a radiator system like you have at home but rather than water there's a specialist fluid that they use and they heat up they're a little slower to heat up but once they're warm wow they're amazing because it's pure convection rather than blown air so this is just hot air moving around and rising around and they are a lovely place to sit and and to be in um, and they are a more expensive system again and they are often prevalent on the higher end motorhomes and caravans whereas diesel systems are often not always true but they're often prevalent on the cheaper lower end with truma in the middle and truma have been around for years heating motorhomes and caravans for a very long time you mentioned gas like Calagas. Are, are those gas prices rising 
uh, with the increase, the huge increases we've seen in in the UK uh, with, with uh, gas for the home. Yeah, we've seen. Yeah, not not massively. I mean, you know, five to ten percent price increases on gas bottles. The bigger issue is actually getting an empty bottle to exchange for a full new one. That's been the challenge. Uh, And Caller are facing issues with uh, supply of steel. Lots of their bottles are expiring, so they're being scrapped. Uh, Camping gas. uh, In in France, the factory shut down this year for the summer, and they stopped shipping them, I'm told, to the UK. So there's currently a massive shortage of camping gas bottles. There's lots of supply issues. That will undoubtedly fix itself. Um, I hope so. Uh, and that will make using gas bottles much easier. You've got some gas bottles here, haven't you? Yeah, we sell them, yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. There's a market in empty gas bottles as well. Uh, Celia has uh, sent us a question. Hi, says Celia. Uh, we're in the market to buy our first motorhome. Apart from the obvious of more or less space, she says, Matt, why does size matter? <laughs> As a first-time buyer, we just don't know what we don't know. So why does size matter, Matt? You're such a dad. Tell Celia. Well, for lots of reasons. I mean, space is key. People often have a misconception that, oh, well, the sixth berth is the same price. We'll buy that. Well, that's actually potentially going to give you less space because there's a lot more furniture in it. I don't know whether Celia's talking about the internal space or the external size. So, I mean, going over to Europe, there's a, a, a consideration there about going on a ferry. And the length of the motor. Yeah, she does say, if we go for a six metre, seven metre, eight metre, we were advised to keep it under seven metres to lower ferry fares. So you only read half the question. I read the important part of the question. (laughs) Sorry, Celia. The bit that you would understand. So, yeah, going on a ferry is going to have an impact on your transition costs across the channel. Uh, And if you're going to do that a lot, that's going to add up. Um, It does surprise me and it does fascinate me how much importance people put on this when you've spent you know, possibly tens of thousands of pounds on a motorhome. And, you know, the focus is the cost of the ferry. It's, you know, it's not a huge cost when considering the price of the motorhome. But maybe for Celia, this is a consideration. Obviously it is. So another factor is which campsites you can fit on. Campsites often have a limit of seven metres for most pitches. And if you turn up in an 8.4 metre you know, tag axle, so you've got six wheels, not four, then you may not be welcome on the campsite. So that's a consideration. Um, height is also a factor. At toll booths, certainly in France, they will measure the height of the vehicle uh, and that can impact the cost of the toll. So if you are doing a lot of European travel, then I'd say definitely it's a consideration. And, and of course, in this country as well, a lot of car parks do have a, a, a height barrier as well. So you they can't, do. You can't yeah. drive motorhomes in. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it, won't stop, it will stop any motorhome going. In. It's a it's a sad and sorry trend of, of things happening, really. Which it's it's always a minority that spoil it for the majority. Isn't it? That's what they say, and and you know whether that's true. But there are increasingly councils that are stopping motorhomes parking overnight, or even visiting for an hour into local car parks, or visiting seafronts. And you know, just be mindful of that when you pull up. Are you allowed to park there? Why aren't they doing that? Are they trying to make more money out, out of motorhomes or is it, are they just being bloody minded? Yeah, as an element of both. I think some councils just don't want that kind of activity going on on the seafront. Yet there are others that are opening up and you know, welcoming. Uh, there's lots of Facebook groups where this is being reported. Um, and if you, you know, if you dare to go on Facebook, um, you can quickly get some advice 
you know, in some lots of these uh, travel groups, motorhome, caravan groups. And it's motorhomes that are welcome normally on a seafront rather than caravans. Yeah, not caravans. No. I mean, I must say I was at Exmouth um, seafront not so long ago, and they are very welcoming to, to motorhomes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's uh, plenty of space for them there. And also just a quick mention as well for the supermarket Morrison's in Chippenham, which I notice <laughs> a, a lot of motorhomes go in there. You know, and do their bits and bobs and get a bit of shopping and feet up and they're not chased out. No. I've, it's interesting. I've of, often found that supermarkets aren't bothered. I, I mean, we've stopped in lots of Tesco, Sainsbury's, spent the night there. I've never been challenged. I mean, it's you know, not always got a very pretty view. We used to, before, kids would often stop in a supermarket car park and go and do a shop and... You know, wake up in the morning. I and mean, once the blinds are down, you could be anywhere. <laughs> well, so thanks, Celia. So that's the answer to the size. Why does size matter? We're going to do a future episode on this next question. But just, a, just a quick line or two on this one, uh, Matt. Cliff has uh, dropped a line to us saying, why do motorhomes suffer from damp issues? Well, if you think of how a motorhome's built, it's kind of sides, back, roof, clamped together and sealed. Uh, and that sealant can age or crack over time. And that can allow water ingress. To take place uh, and older motorhomes especially were built traditionally out of timber so there's a lot of wooden construction inside uh, and that of course is just a sponge to water newer motorhomes are not there's no and it's become a big marketing thing to say there's no wood in the construction and they're using man-made materials that don't absorb water and i would say just do your research on what types of motorhome you know are, are known for water ingress and if you do get some water coming in, are there quick and easy fixes to it? Or is it really just shipping off to somebody who knows what they're doing and, and, and getting a couple of thousand pounds worth of work done? Yeah, it could easily be that. I mean, spotting it early is key. Um, pimpling on the wallboard, so inside you get these tiny little spikes. That's a sign that there's been water in there and it's dried out. That's a surefire sign that there's damp or there has been damp. Uh, and if you get pools of water inside, you know, on, on running down the, the wall or on the table or on a, on, a, on a window frame, then, you know, get to it straight away. Try and find out where the water's coming in. That's the hard bit. It could be six feet away from where the water's visible. Yeah, it's just uh, the water finds its own uh, its own level, doesn't it? It's, it's like in your house. You deal with water ingress immediately, even if it's just a splodge of silicon to stop it in the short term. Make yeah. sure you get it properly looked at. Yeah, damp repairs. Damp is the enemy of a motorhome or caravan yeah. and it can it can turn it into that thing you sent me on facebook the other day <laughs> uh, kenny's written to say forgive me if i'm wrong uh, but he was listening to the podcast when we were talking about carbon monoxide doesn't carbon monoxide rise from the floor yeah so it's going to be high up first yeah okay so why are most if not all alarms he's seen so high up in vans he says you're going to be dead before the alarm goes off. But that's not strictly true, is it? No, it's not. Same in homes as well. So the reason they're high is they are meant to be placed above the highest point where there's an escape route for it. So above the top of a window frame, above the top of a door frame, and in that roof space, the carbon monoxide can gather and build, and then it will ultimately come back down with convection, and that's when you get a problem. So it can gather and build in density above your head, which is why the alarms are put high. Because you know, if there's a window open or a door with a door frame, there could be a gap that the carbon monoxide can escape from. So you know, potentially you're not going to have a problem because it can get out. It will build in the roof space, and that's why the alarms are high.
So that's the reason for that then, Kenny. Well, thanks to everybody who's written to us and left messages for us. Uh, just to remind you again, the way you get in touch is... Yeah, you can get in touch via Facebook. We are Motorhome Matt. On Instagram, we're motorhomemat.co.uk. Visit the website as well. Remember to enter our competition at motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash askmat and you could win yourself a pair of tickets to the upcoming NEC show. But just ask us any question, whether you want to win the tickets or not. Just send us a question. We love getting them. And remember, for the competition, we want your motorhome experiences, uh, whether it's accidental ignorance, fashionable, funny, or anything else. We want to hear your stories. And the way to do that, Matt, is? motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash askmatt. And if you are booking tickets for the big show at the NEC and you don't want to enter the competition, you can get a discount just because you listen to the podcast. Uh, The code is EX1 when you are on the NEC website, not the Motorhome Map website, the NEC ticket booking website, EX1, and you will receive a discount nobody else gets. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Motorhome Matt.